and now, live, and by that we mean recorded in advance, from Gut Check World Headquarters in the capital city of a boxing love-shaped state, it's the Gut Check Podcast with your hosts, Ted Cluck and Zach Bartles. Hey, welcome to the Gut Check Program. Uh, I am Ted Cluck. With me, as always, is my uh, my non-sexual business partner, Zach Bartles. Don't you think it's strange, though, how people say partner, I feel like you need to add that. Okay. I thought about saying partner, and then I I caught myself. In these these strange times that we're in. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, I'm going to go ahead with the no comment. I'm going to proceed with no comment. I see what you're doing. You're playing the straight guys, though I went too far in my joke. Well, no, I I like that. We're both straight guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Isn't that the point of the whole thing? I feel like we might, might, maybe we should start over. Yeah. I don't know. Carry on. All right. Uh, Zach, we've got a special program today, and I and I know that you know what I'm talking about. And uh, today, this week, actually, uh, marks the five-year anniversary of Gut Check Press. And it's not only the five-year anniversary of the company, it's the five-year anniversary of the first release uh, of the first Gut Check book, a uh, book called Kind of Christianity. And um, on Wednesday of this week, uh, April 1st. Which, April, is t- which is today. Today, yeah. Today, <laughs> today we're releasing uh, another book called Re-Raptured. So... Uh, I like the symmetry of five years down the road from our first release. We've got uh, we've got another project coming out, right? Yeah, and lest people cry foul, we did make a big deal in December about the five year anniversary of the company, mm. but that was the five year anniversary of its inception. Right. This is this is the five year anniversary of its its uh, birth. Yeah. When, when we birthed that book out of our uh, <laughs> company's corporate. <laughs> Oh, say it. Birth canal. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, I feel like you've gone too far. Now we're even. All right, let's start in, over. In that. <laughs> and by that, I mean let's not start over. Uh, anyway, it is exciting to celebrate that. Uh, so, what I thought we'd do, Zach, um, we've got a full show, as always. Um, we've got the tweet that we can read, of course. Uh, we've got our, our special guest, Frank Turk, which uh, I think is going to become kind of a regular segment here on the program. Hopefully. I think we're going to want to talk a little bit maybe, too, about uh, a little film we watched last night. Yes. Do you want to? Let's do that first. Let's get into that right away. Well, let, let, me, let me start with this. I want to okay. read, too, without even saying what the name of the movie was. Okay. I, want, I, did, a little, I did a little detective work when I got home. <laughs> I did a little bit, too. And I, I was looking up on the Internet oh, Movie Jesus. Database. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I want to read two items of trivia. Okay. Uh, one says, film debut of Thomas Ian Griffith, who portrays a Vietnam veteran. In real life, <laughs> Griffith was 13 years old. He was in, he was in junior high. <laughs> uh, he was only 13 years old when, the, Viet- junior high. <laughs> when the Vietnam War ended. He is also some years younger than Ralph <laughs> Macchio, who plays a child. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was just... Those are just a couple of things that were horribly wrong with Karate Kid 3, which was the movie that we watched. Uh, I want to read the second one okay. here, and yeah. I want to get your take on this. Okay. While filming, Sean Kanan, this is the guy who played Karate's bad boy. Oh, Karate's bad boy, yeah. Uh, performed his own stunts. Wow. Including one wherein he, <laughs> wherein he lunged forward and landed on his stomach for 20 takes. Okay. After taking aspirin for four days to deal with the residual pain, mm. Kanan felt fell unconscious at a hospital he was diagnosed with internal bleeding caused by a torn abdominal wall. Oh, wow. So he almost died for that turd of a movie. That's, that's horrible. What a way that's, to go. That's a really sad thing. Now, <laughs> uh, of course, the movie that we're talking about is Karate Kid 3. Um, and Zach, why don't you tell the, tell the listeners about this kind of tradition that we have here within the company, what we do with these movies. Basically, our, our go-to like hangout, you and me and our wives, is we mm-hmm. come together with our, with our kids and our families, we eat some dinner, we uh, kind of send the kids away to play, and then we put in a crappy, generally late 80s or 90s, yeah. or maybe you know even more recent if it's a really crappy movie. Right, right, right. And then we mock it. In a way that I feel is usually worthy of being recorded and itself sold. Yeah, in fact, I think every time we go, man, we should we should be recording this. Yes, yes, I think that there's nothing funnier because than of how funny fun we are these, yeah, when we're making words, fun of these. Yeah. yeah, when we're making fun of these movies, uh, which really is a blast. And I and I think that that venue works well for us because you know, being that we both have little kids, like it's it's really hard to watch a good movie together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In that setting, with people coming upstairs and and. You know, just all the interruptions. And, and it's also hard to pick out a, a a truly good movie that everybody in the group will think is good. Right, um, right. You don't want one person making fun and you then don't, like, yeah, someone exactly. else thinking it's a freaking masterpiece. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Which is why we go to these crappy movies. And 
And I have to tell you, Zach, this is one of the worst movies, <laughs> really, that I've ever seen. It was it was 112 minutes, and it seemed like 112 days. Except for one shining, bright exception. What was that? That was the character of Terry Silver. Terry Silver. Now, the talk, maniacal bad guy. Talk about a, Terry. Terry Silver is the man who, who, was, who was several months younger than the Karate Kid. The, the 13-year-old Vietnam veteran. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh-huh. uh, he owns, uh, what was the name of that, that outfit? Uh, uh, Dynatox. Dynatox. Uh, and Which he, ostensibly is a company that, that deals with toxic waste. Plutonium, particularly. Plutonium. Yeah, yeah, he was doing plutonium deals, which I know because he hurriedly turned and signed a plutonium contract of some kind. While in the middle of doing silk karate. Silk karate, which is where you wear a gi, but the gi is like silk pajamas. And you do that like in your <laughs> giant 70s uh, mansion with yeah. like lackeys that you've hired just so you can beat them up. Now, I, I want to I share something that I thought was funny about the exterior shots of the mansion. Okay. And that is, they would always use the same shot, right? Uh-huh. Where Terry Silver was in the mansion, you know, kind of planning... His maniacal plot, which was just to harass a child, apparently. That's what you do when you're an <laughs> evil billionaire in Los Angeles. Um, you, you find a little uh, a little child from Reseda and just make his life miserable. Right, you spend millions of dollars to rig a yeah, children's to karate, rig a children's karate, karate tournament. tournament yeah, there's which nothing was the, sad about that. Spoiler alert, that's the arc of the movie. But, uh, but, but so these exterior shots, they would show this mansion. And it was kind of this... Uh, I don't know what you call the architecture, what era, but it was, you know, this beautiful exterior of a mansion in a, in a mountain on a hillside. Except that there was a, like a, a standard television <laughs> antenna, like a 1980s. Like your grandma had Like 80s. your grandma had. Like a, like a TV antenna <laughs> sticking out of the top of the mansion, suggesting that all Terry Silver really wanted to do was, like, kind of watch the networks and PBS. Uh, that's once not all he wanted to do, though. Generally, yeah. Terry had something else he wanted to be doing most of the time. And what was that? This is this is the other fascinating thing about that. Well, character. when he's not I doing feel like karate, so much. When he's not know. doing karate in his spare time, his downtime, <laughs> he's either in his own like private schwitz there, uh, wrapped in a couple <laughs> towels with a, with a with a bucket of of ice and some champagne. Yeah, or yeah. He, he's in a bathtub. Okay, <laughs> that looks oddly like a rather big like a sink, sink. like a yeah. no, like a standard bathroom sink, right? <laughs> and then it was sort of. Not elongated like a bathtub. Right, he must have gone. He must have been standing in he it. Must have been was, st- he, <laughs> was he standing? He must have been standing in it because because yeah. <laughs> it, it, the thing of it is, it didn't seem big enough to sprawl out in. Is what we're trying to say. So I hope you know. Since this is booby, this is radio, not television. <laughs> oh, I just thought of something, what? Ted. Yeah. Can you imagine some kind of vignette? Maybe this is something you and I ought to do. Okay. Starring. Okay. Ellis. And Terry Silver. Wow. That would be incredible. Two evil kind of 1980s... Evil business. Los Angeles business minds. I, You know what? I bet those two companies had some synergy back mm, in the 80s. Yeah, Nakatomi, yeah. Nakatomi and Dynatox. Nakatomi and Dynatox, yeah. I could see them being in cahoots on some projects. But uh, but anyway, so they, there's more about the baths. So Terry... <laughs> There's more about the baths. There's more about that character. Silver would... He would sit in this in this bathtub that looked like a giant sink... And his secretary, who was this uh, sort of old, shriveled up, you know, stern woman. Standard 80s, like, standard 80s sec- take uh, a letter Old lady secretary, yeah. yeah. So she's sitting there just in a, in a standard kind of chair next to the bath. Well, he's taking a bath while he's and taking a bath a While he's being naked in a bath, suggesting, I don't know, I mean, you take that wherever you want to no, take it. No, I think it, he was just free with it. Or maybe he had trunks on. But yeah. but it wasn't just the secretary, was it, Ted? No, some other people came in. Like so four other people. Four other people. Two uh, lackeys, like henchmen. You know what I learned? Who what? are also teenagers, by the way. Snake. Snake. Another character to be celebrated is yeah. supposed to be his son. In the movie? Yeah. Listen, here's another piece of trivia. Jonathan so you... Avildsen, son of the film's director, okay. screen tested for the part of Mike Barnes. He did such a fine job that the role of <laughs> Snake Silver, Terry's son, was created especially for he him. He did such a fine job that he didn't get the more significant role. <laughs> and they made it up like a really... And a wildly insignificant role was created for him. That's but, how well he did in the in But the you know what test. Snake got to do that I thought was sweet? What's that? While the karate's bad boy just like shouted a lot of angry things at, at Daniel-san, yeah. Snake got to just do donuts back and forth in that... that it was like yeah. a Mustang, wasn't it? It was, it? A, yeah, it was a really... Nice car. That was a really crappy era for Mustangs, though. That yeah, was like well, the saddest Mustang era. But still, it, for the an The late 80s, 80s is a crappy era for all cars. But, yeah, yeah. But I thought that was really... That was really odd. Yeah, it was odd. 
I mean, being that he's the director's son, I mean, maybe those are the kind of things you just get to do when they, when they stay in the picture. <laughs> I also yeah. liked uh, the montages where they kept showing, uh, like, Daniel-san doing all this wax-on, wax-off stuff, which obvi- yeah. obviously he had forgotten since yeah. the first movie because yeah. he just, you know, he, he just kind of yeah. limply yeah. thrust his appendages at toward people and got beat up the whole time. Right. Uh, he's, they, they go back to him training, and then they would mm-hmm. go to the exact same clip yeah. Of of karate's bad boy punching <laughs> bricks that yeah, then exploded yeah. that, that explode right as though as though they were you know innervated with like uh, like like dynamite right that uh, really is that was the worst movie I've ever it was seen. awful it was true and we've watched some bad ones I mean what are some <laughs> of the bad you know face off uh, mark for death hard to kill this is worse than any Seagal movie because this that, is worse yeah, yeah Terry Silver no disrespect because okay. I wish I yeah. had a friend no. like Terry Silver no I, meaning a cool. billionaire who would solve all my problems for me and send me to meaning Tahiti. engineer your kids uh, karate tournaments yeah, right. <laughs> right but 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 he's a he's kind of a knockoff Steven Seagal is he not sure. he had the yeah. ponytail the greasy ponytail the, the yeah one other thing I noticed about this movie okay an awful lot of racial slurs for a PG film yeah fascinating with otherwise kind of squeaky clean like you're a slime ball yeah well I think the 80s played kind of fast and loose with racial stuff I thought that was really odd it, it made was me odd. rather uncomfortable you know that that, that, that was like several uh, racial slurs uh, for Japanese people and for, for Asian people in, in general were probably yeah. in every scene I would say that's true yeah in most scenes like, I thought it was odd when randomly Daniel-san just started shouting them at Mr. Miyagi <laughs> yeah exactly there was a lot going on in, inside for him apparently you know because the there yeah. was the symbolism of the tree Gosh, that was splitting so in two significant yeah I mean, I don't want you to give things away to the listeners because it, as they see the bonsai tree, I want them to have the joy of, of kind of discovering how that parallels the, uh, the, the, the greater story, if you will. So I, it's interesting, Zach, that you mentioned Mr. Miyagi because I, I want to – there's something that as an English teacher I want to talk about just briefly. And this could dovetail nicely into another – why are you laughing? I'm not. I'm, another, I'm, yeah, th- this could be another, um, another project for the Gut Check Army. Um, you made the observation, I think, during the film. Don't that, bring me into this, man. Okay. Oh, okay. It was my observation, for the record. So we're three films now into the franchise, and Mr. Miyagi's conversational English hasn't improved at all, even though the fact that he's ostensibly lived in Los Angeles for what? What did we say, 30, 40 years? No, he, he was a war veteran, so obviously okay. he's been there since the 40s. And this oh, wow. Was, and this is the takes 80s. Place, yeah. it, it takes place in 86, though, because it's the very okay. next year. Very messed up timeline, sure. as I pointed out. But yeah, yeah so, so he's been there for So he's been there a long 50 time. Years, yes. And he still speaks in this very kind of broken, you know, uh, Miyagi-esque. I mean, it's become obviously a part of the... the you know the mythos of the character so like the teacher and you felt like an urge to get in there and do a little esl with i'd like to get in there and do a little esl and and what i'd really like to do zach is rewrite one or two of these scenes (laughs) where i correct miyagi's grammar and just see if see how that changes the dynamic if if miyagi comes off seeming less wise less wise maybe more of a jerk because he was kind of a jerk in this movie he was a little bit yeah yeah i don't know like here's the thing i think think it'd be a fun project to me this film seemed like a kind of counterintuitive study of a really good friend, okay. which is Terry Silver of, okay. of Dynatox, yeah. <laughs> who is one of the best friends I've ever seen. You know, he's a very, yeah, he's very loyal to John Kreese. Granted, he loves it when he pounds him. He said, "I love <laughs> yeah, it when he yeah. pounds him." But yeah. at the same time, he said, "You know, if you get, you give," mm. which to me is right up there with like, "Ask not what your country can do for you." And that, kind yeah, of thing. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom. in So that. you have that on one hand, and then on the other hand, you have Miyagi, who's really quite a selfish friend, who's like, right. "You know, I'll let you get beat up and your life get ruined, well, but I'm not going to compromise my principles." You know, I'll let you buy me a, a bonsai tree shop too, which he should he should have never <laughs> allowed that. But but Miyagi won that money for him. Remember that's true. with the ice yeah, in, that's in part true. two. Here's a question for you: sure. Did Daniel have to like forge Miyagi's name on that lease. Remember, mm. he did it behind his back, and then Mr. Miyagi was like, "But your name's not on the lease next to mine." He said it with like fewer words, but he yeah. essentially said that. <laughs> and uh, and I remember thinking, you know what? what? I think we should we should try to get Miyagi into the studio to read the tweet today, the Rachel Held uh, Evans tweet. Do you think that could happen? I, what are I the odds of that happening? I think the odds of that happening and not seeming racist. Are okay. low? Okay, sure. That, that's what I'm... I appreciate your candor. This is why we have a good <laughs> dynamic as a company. <laughs> I know you wouldn't intend that, no, or, or no. Miyagi or whoever, but... Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, thought, I, I feel like there's more to say about this, but, but at, well, at some point... I, I've got a couple things. Um, okay. <laughs> one is that uh, it was interesting to me that every relationship in this, in this picture, Karate Kid 3, uh-huh. was some sort of a creepy, like... 
patron sugar daddy you know teenage boy older man kind of kind of dynamic except the thoroughly platonic one between daniel and the non-love interest exactly who right. didn't even like fly back out to watch the uh the the all county or the, she had to go to uh wherever she had to go to ohio film, columbus uh, oh yeah. okay which is where she got her rock climbing background apparently because columbus <laughs> being the the mecca of rock climbing that it is <laughs> um, yeah, there there is Zach. We could talk about this movie forever, but uh, I, I feel like here's the thing. There, there's yeah. a chair right here mm-hmm. in the studio that no one is ever sitting in when we record. That's true. Yeah. In my mind, Hans right is behind kind of, the soundboard there. Hans is there, okay, just kind of with us, you okay. know. Yeah. And now I feel like in that other empty chair, mm-hmm. that's where Terry Silver is sitting, you know, polishing his pinky ring, fluffing his ascot, kind of yeah. just yeah. watching over the the gut check podcast. Actually, you know where I see Terry Silver. Where? This is strange. This is going to strike you as a little odd. Where's that? Over over there uh, in the sink, <laughs> kind of <laughs> kind of just soaking. smoking a cigar, <laughs> smoking and some, <laughs> it, soaking up in some bubbles. You know, just kind of conducting business from over there. Now, now, Chad, you told me how recently you you just kind of charged a room full of people. Someone here who is good with. Uh, with Photoshop, Photoshop. Do, yeah. do, do a little job for me during a yeah. class. Yeah. Like you yeah. abused your power as a professor. To, I did to probably do. abuse my power, to be honest. Um, and, and I'm, I said abused. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Nobody thinks I was just trying to own that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but I'm wondering maybe one of our listeners could yeah. could take a picture of Terry Silver mm. in that tub, mm. you know, a frame from that film. I would love that. And then that. like put like maybe a giant <laughs> toothbrush next to him. Or like a big... Some shaving supplies, like a razor and some... <laughs> to give some scale to it. Yeah, to give a little scale to it. I would love that. So there's a there's a challenge to the Gut Check Army, to that, our listeners. That would definitely get you on the air. That would get you on the air. As would uh, sending in some random crap from your house. Uh, the jerseys, the... Um, obscure jerseys. The obscure uh, NFL jerseys, or old electronics from the 80s or 90s. Um, Anything owned by Terry Silver... Anything owned by Terry Silver will get you on the program, for sure. So Or crappy 90s action, action movies. movies. We That's already right. have Karate Kid 3. Yeah, cra- yeah, yeah, full disclosure, we already have that. Um, so send in your crappy movies, uh, your retro obscure football jerseys, and we'll get you on the program. Also, uh, visit gutcheckpress.com, sign up for the Gut Check Army, uh, post-haste if you haven't already done that. And uh, we'll get you uh, enrolled, enlisted, as it were. Uh, in the Gut Check Army, which just means that we'll send you a couple of really funny things a couple times a year. To There's read. a new thing on there um, that, that we just put up. So if yeah. you're a member of the Gut Check Army, go back and look again. I'm not going to send out another email, second email. Yeah. Uh, but go back and look again. Uh, it's part one of mm. what I think could be a very fun series. I oh, think I like, that anytime yeah. you and I watch an 80s movie... Oh, that would be good. That, uh, yeah, that, that, that would be, be good. By the way, if you've signed up for the Gut Check Army and it's been more than a couple days and you haven't gotten... Uh, the email that gives you the password, please just email me at info at gutcheckpress.com. I don't want to make sure nobody gets left out because we are all inclusive here Baby, at the Gut Check Army. you want to make sure nobody gets, wait for it, left behind. <laughs> yeah. And, and then um, there's one more thing I want to talk about before we sure. get Frank Turk on here. Turkish. Uh, and that is, uh, I, want to, I want us to do a little reading. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, I know that we, we were talking about uh, reading a couple of our uh, sections from our uh, upcoming book re-raptured but I, wanted, I want us to do a, a little reading uh, from the book, the movie we watched last night from okay. Karate Kid 3 wow alright uh, and, and I want to just do it like this table read I'll be uh, you want to be Daniel or you want me to be Daniel uh, why don't you be Daniel alright I want you to be Mike Barnes okay you can be Snake Karate's 2 bad boy yeah. Okay. yeah, you be Snake 2 I'll be Jessica Andrews okay. and I definitely want you to be Miyagi okay, okay. now Ari Miyagi I mean just to give me some direction here I uh, want you to be actor. as full Miyagi as you can. You Do you know? want me to correct his grammar, though? Yes. Okay. All right. Gosh, this is going to be exciting. All right, so I'm going to be... Actually, I'm going to be Crease. Okay. You'll be Terry Silver. Ooh. I'll be Daniel LaRusso. You'll be Mr. Miyagi. All right? Okay. Yeah. Here we go. You think this is the end of it, old man? I'm going to open Cobra Kai dojos all over the valley. Hell, I might even teach for free. From now on, all that anyone will know... About is Cobra Kai Karate. That's all anyone anywhere will we'll know. know about. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> because you know what? From a business standpoint, there's nothing more sound than opening up a series of Cobra Kai dojos yeah. in the valley, especially when you they're know. already failing. Yeah. John Kreese's Karate. You won't even be a memory. Yes, he will. You <laughs> won't. <laughs> yes, he will. Give this, that line this again. Is, this yeah. is Daniel's son. Yes, he will. You won't. Crease and Silver are laughing hysterically as Daniel turns to Miyagi. Actually, I'm laughing hysterically. <laughs> now, will you train me? 
Hi. <laughs> now, now, Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna correct his grammar here. Okay. Hi. Is yes, hi? Daniel. I will train you. <laughs> Is hi actually a word? I, I, I thought he was just saying hello because he walked into oh. the room. <laughs> you know what? I'd like I'd like just to hear you deliver this speech by Terry Silver that he gives after he buys a permanent. Mm. Uh, home for the All Valley under eighteen. Somehow they're under eighteen and yeah, college yeah. students and, and right. like doing business deals. Right. Uh, karate championship. Uh, here, here it is. And and you know what? I'll do yeah. the stage direction here. Okay. And then you just give us the rest of it. I would love to. And this is Silver, my character in uh, in uh, a suit and an ascot, looking very. Looks like he's just been fox hunting. Yeah, exactly. He's not. I I know that we've kind of <laughs> established this in your mind, but he's not in a sink right now. Right. Okay. <laughs> He's out of the sink. He's walking around. In fact, you know what? This chapter on the DVD is called Out of the Sink and Walking Around. <laughs> All right. Set us up here. Set Mr. Up. Silver is invited to say a few words before the final match of the All-Valley Tournament. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. I've always lived my life by the rule, if you get, you give. Oh. Mm. For the last 20 years, I've gotten from karate. I've gotten discipline, health, self-confidence, Inner peace, everything that makes me what I am today, which is a 23-year-old, apparently. <laughs> so, and today, it's time for me to give back. Audience cheers approvingly. Of course they do. It's my pleasure to announce my partnership with the greatest karate man I've ever known, John Kreese. The karate man. The karate man, More. which is a real title. <laughs> I think that I, people really use. I think I heard uh, my six-year-old and your nine-year-old last night yeah. referring to it. I'm a karate man. Actually, it's going to be on my next business card for Gutcha. <laughs> Ted Clark, karate man. You know, you've got the ponytail. I you do. could be the next. I could. Uh, I could be Terry the next Terry Silver. More cheers. Okay. Together, we are about to open a chain of Cobra Kai dojos again with a chain of dojos, <laughs> where young people can come and learn the same values I've learned: honesty, compassion, and fair play. Thank you all for coming. Enjoy the final match. Also, at these Cobra Kai dojos, instead of traditional showers, there's just going to be gigantic sinks right. for the athletes to sort of... And, and even though he's a billionaire, yeah. clearly he's going to be painting. Yeah, he's going to be painting the dojos because he does his own paint work. <laughs> and his own snooping around, That's oddly. Right. Um, Mr. Silver leaves to thunderous, thunderous applause. applause. Is there any more we can do here, man? Oh, I don't know. Let's find one more scene, maybe. It's hard to find them without, um, you know, the context the, of the. I wish we had the actual script. I was going to say it's hard to find them without racial slurs, but. Oh, uh, true. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. This okay. is, this is okay. the one that I had in mind. This now. is an action scene. All right. I'll be Daniel LaRusso. You'll be Snake and Mike Barnes. Mm. I'll be Jessica Andrews. Okay. And you'll be able to tell if I'm LaRusso or Andrews because I'll be whiny when I'm LaRusso and I'll try and, like, be higher pitched when I'm Andrews. Okay. Okay. So I'm Mike Barnes and Snake. I'm So I'm, like, the two bad guys. Yeah. Okay. All right. Ready? Cobra Kai are leaving Daniel slash Jessica stranded on ropes. So, th so they're hanging off a cliff uh, because they've attempted to get Miyagi's uh, beloved bonsai, bonsai tree. tree. The one that's on the back of his karate gi. From Devil's, uh, De Devil's Cauldron. Cauldron, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they've been doing this, and then suddenly, you know, it, basically to set you up, the, the location is uh, a really bad soundstage in Burbank. Um, okay, here we go. Hey! Yes, sweetheart. Pull us up, man. The stakes just went up. Give us the tree. No, Daniel, don't. <laughs> Does anyway. <laughs> All right, just be careful. Laughing evilly. What are you going to do with it? Replant it. Raises it and acts like he's going to thrust it into oh, the canyon. Oh. Down there. So by down there, he means he's going to throw it down there, not actually go down and plant it <laughs> lovingly. Right? <laughs> I feel like that's important for the listeners. You never know. Snake's you never know a complex snake. character. He's a complicated yeah. guy. No. No. <laughs> Disgusted. Enough talk. Give me the tree. Takes it. Okay. <laughs> Oops, I, I lost it. Oh, crap. What am I doing? Uh, okay, now you want it, right? Yes. Yes. I thought it was clear that they wanted yeah. it. I don't know why Mike Barnes has to reestablish that. He's slow. And you don't want me to replant it down there. Again, not meaning plant it gently and lovingly, but like throw it down into the cauldron. And this is a little this is a little uh, fuzzy here because he says, <laughs> and you don't want me to replant it down there. And both Daniel and Jessica say yes. Yes what? So like, yes, yes to they the want negative. to replant yes it? To the or, that okay, makes sense. Yeah, okay. yeah. Hey, Daniel. Breaks the trunk of the tree. Make a wish. Goes off laughing very hard with Dennis <laughs> and Snake. 
Daniel LaRusso looks at the injured tree. Very, very heartbroken. heartbroken. Oh, cut, I love it. Cut to the bonsai shop that's destined to fail within two months. Exactly. Daniel LaRusso is at the door, tentatively. Mr. Miyagi holds up injured tree. A crash of thunder strikes outside. Mr. Miyagi, seeing, his, seeing this, drops broom in sad shock, but calmly <laughs> takes the tree and starts fixing it. Daniel LaRusso, <laughs> worried sad. Will it be okay? Uh, well, Daniel, depends if the root is strong. See, I'm correcting Mr. Uh, Miyagi's I, I grammar see. because it just... All right, well, that's, that's the end of that. Then. All right, all right. We're thrilled here on the Gut Check program to have uh, a recurring guest, uh, friend of the company, friend of the show, Frank Turk, uh, the great Frank Turk, uh, who Zach has written, I think, most of the forewords for uh, for our, our Gut Check books. Well, he's written all the forewords. Okay. It's just that every book hasn't had a forward because Mega didn't have one. True. And if Mega had had one, Chaz would have written it. Chaz would have written it himself, yeah. Mega exactly. by Chaz Marriott, forward by Chaz Marriott. That's what we um, should have done that. <laughs> that's fantastic. I'm loving, I'm loving Monday. Good, baby. You're loving it because of this or just for other reasons? This, this was this yesterday when I got Zach's text. This was, this mm-hmm. was why I got up this morning. Oh, oh good, I'll baby. stop. But stop, don't really right? stop. Yeah, but, don't, but not really. We mean, what, yeah, no. stop keep talking. Exactly. You know what we've been, we've been opining about for about 20 minutes here, Frank? Tell me. Uh, the movie Karate Kid Three. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. I couldn't. I couldn't even fake it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, uh, I, I would tell you to see it, but uh, but but it's probably the worst movie that either of us have ever right. seen. Right. And, and you know what? We love you, man. We don't want you to go through that. Exactly. Although if if, if, if we all watched it together, it could be fun. Oh, that would be real fun. Dirk, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, as a company, we're celebrating the five-year anniversary of uh, our first book, the release of our first book, Kind of Christianity, uh, which was kind of a spoof of the uh, emergent church movement, Rest its Soul, um, <laughs> and specifically kind of a spoof of uh, Brian McLaren's book, A New Kind of Christian. Um, yes. And uh, Zach did some great cover art for that book. Zach, why don't you tell us about that? Man? The least understood cover art ever. Actually, my wife did it. Really? Because I didn't have Photoshop or know how to use it. So basically, it's uh, the cover of A New Kind of Christian was just a kind of stone cross with all this ivy all over it. Right. And the cover of Kind of Christian is is that same image, only just the ivy. Yeah, uh, just and the ivy, no cross. I don't think anyone – there wasn't enough ivy, I don't think, on all parts of it so that it was still <laughs> clear what it was. I remember you and I thought that was really clever, though. Yeah. Like we were – yeah. Before that, though, we came out with the Cluckstock version that had – Stonehenge on the cover. Oh, remember? nice. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should have stayed with that. Yeah, probably. But, uh, but it, Too it's, clever by half. It's crazy that it's been five years, Zach, since that project. And uh, that means that we've, we've known Turkish for at least five years. Yeah. And, uh, and we've been on this, this strange corporate journey uh, <laughs> ever since. It, it, and Turk, Turk we're going to celebrate uh, today by releasing our, our, our newest book, Re-Raptured, Re-Raptured. Uh, which is a, a dispensational thriller. It's an end times uh, thriller in the vein of Left Behind and the uh, 73 Left Behind sequel. <laughs> um, and we're really excited about it. You should be, man, because the, the original version of that book was, was – uh, it was epic. And I think that if you, you have, if you have uh, just taken uh, to, to sharpening some iron there, I think uh, people's, people's minds are going to be blown. They, they may even, they may even be, become amillennial by reading that book. No, whoa, easy. That, that actually happens in the book. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dirk, you you wrote the uh, forward for that that book, and I remember the uh, the beginning of it in true Turk fashion had a uh, in in a big like Blambot free comic font mm-hmm. uh, yes. said uh, Jerry Jenkins has written eighty one books or something to that effect. Well, I mean, it's it's an obvious comparison, right? I mean, there that's uh, that. Genre of Christian fiction was invented by Jerry Jenkins, perfected yeah. by Jerry Jenkins, and then ultimately parodied by Jerry Jenkins. And then you guys came out and parodied the parody, which I thought was so meta it, it was it was it was blinding. No, oh, baby, I appreciate that, man. Oddly enough, that's exactly what we thought about it too. Um, so we were we're on the same page in our admiration of uh, of our own work in that uh, in that book, but. But this one, Zach, tell, talk about some of the changes uh, that, that took place and some of the expansion of the characters in this, uh, in this version. Well, basically what we were doing here is, is we came out with the last one. I think the book before it had sold so well without any effort. None. 
And so we were just like, ah, we'll come out with it. People will think it's funny. It's a funny concept. We'll kind of put it out there. And nobody bought it. And for a long time, we would just once in a while say, man, it sucks that nobody bought that book. I think that's some of our funniest stuff. And I really do. Right. And then it occurred to me that that when like John Welford or one of these guys would write one of these uh, end times books with all these very specific political figures and timelines or Jack Vanipi especially. I remember I went and saw him uh, at a, a church here in town in 2000. Eight or 2009, and he said definitively, and by 2012, we'll be looking down. And <laughs> nobody ever called those people on that stuff. They, in fact, they would take those same materials, mm-hmm. update the dates, change the name you know, from bin Laden to whoever or from Gorbachev to Hussein, sure. and then come out with it again. And I felt how, exactly. how funny and, again, kind of in the same spirit of, of uh, meta-ness mm-hmm. to, uh, to do the same thing and uh, come out <laughs> with this same book again. Yeah. Well, yep. I, you know, but but even Left Behind did that, didn't it? I mean, one of the things that really ast- aggravated me, my wife and I read those. We, that's when we owned the Christian bookstore. And my wife and I read through those things because obviously we were selling them like hotcakes. At one point, that was all we were selling. So, you know, I have great, I have these great books from Christian history and Left Behind and what are people buying? Yeah, they're buying the crap. So, <laughs> so, so they're reading them. So I figured I should read them at least to know what kind of junk people are putting in their brains and and we're reading through it and by the time you get to the fourth book you're so sick of the you know it starts off at that point about 15 percent recycled material but then by the sixth book it's like 40 percent recycled material you know like like what jenkins is thinking is you know somebody might be picking up this book the seventh book in this series first so I better recycle all the backstory stuff. And literally, you can find places where the text is lifted word from word from the first book, the second book, the third book. Yeah, you, yeah. Know? you know, holy mackerel! What a what an eye rolling experience that was. I listened to the first four of those uh, when I was in college. I had a job painting cottages in in uh, Grand Haven, Michigan, for a mm-hmm. while, and I somebody loaned them to me, and I had a Walkman, and I'm listening to them on tape, and. I remember I'm I'm caught. It was one of these like stadium things where this all these people show up in a stadium to listen yeah. to, uh, you know, Rabbi Ben something or other messianic. We have stadiums. <laughs> we do indeed. Um, only ours are more interesting because yeah. these are just somebody talking. Right. And I remember th- I couldn't thumb through because it was audio books. But I remember thinking I have heard this three or four times now, and kind of standing back and looking at uh, what I was doing and the fact that I was literally kind of watching paint dry and thinking that it was a great soundtrack for that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah, our book, our book has uh, it has many stadium scenes. Um, there's gunplay. Uh, there are uh, explosives, microchips, um, barcodes, pe- barcodes, people flying, little <laughs> cylinders of floor beneath people, um, people blowing into game controllers or, or uh, game cartridges like we used to in the in the eighties and nineties growing up playing uh, playing Nintendo. That's retro, man. That's hip. Yeah. I'm wondering if uh, if maybe Ted could uh, kind of beta test. Since this this book comes out today, uh, the, today being the day that I'm going to actually put this podcast up. Um, the magic of radio. Yeah, mm. and by radio, yeah, uh, we mean and, podcast. <laughs> uh, we could get your kind of reaction to uh, some of the the new material. I'm going to read a few paragraphs here, Turkish, and uh, let, me, let me set the scene for you here. So we've got a we've got several kind of pockets of characters. There's a, a, a quarterback, as you remember, called Ted Strongbow, uh, who plays professional football. He's on a team called the Denver Values, and uh, and there there's a group of people that think he might be the Messiah. Uh, there are other people that think he might be the Antichrist. So that that's one sort of uh, group of people and group of storylines. And there's another group in which uh, a group of uh, very conservative, reformed guys uh, <laughs> is trying to recolonize the state of Nebraska and, and, and model it on the board game Settlers of Catan. So that that's sort of their blueprint for how they want to they want to recolonize Nebraska for reformdom. And that's uh, gold. Yeah, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna open on this scene where. Um, this father in true reformed fashion has arranged his daughter's marriage and, uh, <laughs> and it's her wedding day, but he gets a, he gets a very sort of chilling communique from, uh, from Dr. Tim Van Shrimpy, who, who's the leader of this, uh, um, uh, apocalyptic rat- cult living in a jar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so here we go. Tad Townsend is the boy. He's, uh, the, the young man who's getting married. Tad Townsend opens the wedding ceremony by unsheathing an arrow and shooting an apple. See also Freud, field day. <laughs> Off the podium at the front of the lawn, which elicits an ooh from the crowd, and by the crowd I mean both mothers, 
who have been up since 4 a.m. cooking, cleaning, and setting up the ceremony and the reception, while Townsend and Ironsides play an endless round of settlers, which they always refer to as research. <laughs> Townsend presses play on an old tape deck, bringing to life the opening strains of Butterfly Kisses by Bob Carlyle, which Tad Townsend finds odd because he has never had a kiss, butterfly or otherwise. The mother stand and Carol Ann makes her way down the aisle with Edith. Both women honestly look radiant for them. When Ironsides Ironsides opens the little binder containing his notes for the wedding, a small but elegant envelope with a red wax seal tumbles out. Van Shrimpy, he mutters under his breath, squatting awkwardly in order to retrieve the letter and tear it open. He reads it quickly as Carol Ann approaches. Dear Reverend Ironsides, I don't mean to interrupt you on your special day. Actually, I do. And I'm interrupting to tell you that despite your best efforts to recolonize Nebraska with only people of your theological persuasion, you'll never be able to fully protect your daughter. What I mean in plain speak is that I'm coming for her. It's all happening. It's all happening. Also, I left a gift on the gift table. Full disclosure, it's a soup tureen. (laughs) I've never been good at surprises, except this one. And by this one, I mean what's about to happen to you. Sincerely, the Reverend Dr. Tim Van Shrimpy. Oh, man. Mm. Are you going to leave that a, a cliffhanger? Should I leave it a cliffhanger? I think or, so, okay. Yeah, yeah I don't want to give away too much. Something real goes down there. It's yeah, all happening. Yeah, yeah, it's all happening. It's all happening. Now, what are your thoughts? What, what else can I think? That is brilliant. There's, there's, uh, there's almost none of that. I, you, you couldn't even rewrite a single word. I mean, I remember my critiques that I, the private critiques that I sent you of 42 Weeks Dry Zach, and, you know, they may have been, may, may have been a little heavy handed. I, I wouldn't change a word. I wouldn't change a word. In fact, when you make this book, uh, uh, when you make it an audio book, Ted has to read it the way Ted reads it, which is it's not even deadpan. That that is the driest reading, Ted, and that is the perfect way to read that book. It's That's better perfect. because because like, like, because what that means is that it's there's no drama, there's no there's no, no vocal drama involved there. The joke either works or it doesn't, and it's a winner. And I'll tell you what. Every sentence there was a winner. Turkish, I love that you said that, man. That is so well said. And I, I love it in part because it's complimentary of us, but also uh, I, I no, think that's you're – Yeah, that's actually why. <laughs> also, I'd love, to, I'd love Zach to see this made into a movie, um, maybe a, a, B, a, B, a B-grade action movie along the lines of a, a Mark for Death or a Hard to Kill oh, or, that would or be a Karate Kid 3. It, yeah. it needs um, to be a comedy channel made for TV movie. Ooh, I like it. Although, Ted, you know that it is very hard for indie filmmakers to get access to even kind of abandoned uh, sports stadiums. So true, that true. may be an yeah. issue. Yeah. Well, what about, what about like a three-part South Park? <laughs> oh, man. You know what? The creative energy in this room right now is unbelievable. And by this room, <laughs> I mean the two of us in our studio and wherever Turk is. Turk, where are you right now? Describe where you are. I'm uh, sitting on a beach right now. Uh, the sun is the sun is high. The water is blue, and uh, it's a spectacular day here in Waikiki. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Um, Turkish, tell us uh, tell us what you're working on these days, man. You know, you can see this is this is where it turns from funny to, to like serious, right? Because I'm not really working on anything. I mean, the one thing that I have written in the last sixty days that I think is worth reading Wednesday, the April Fool's Day, where I'll publish my first thing on Team Pyro in months, and it's really? a review. Yeah, yeah, actually, and it's a review. It's an open letter to the producer of a movie that's going to premiere on uh, PBS on Monday. Monday, the what is that? The fifth, I guess, or sixth, whatever it oh. is. Um, and it's a movie called uh, "Little Hope Was Arson." And uh, this guy is the the guy who produced this movie is the same one who produced that movie about the Card County Christians. So you guys, oh, guys yeah. ever see that piece of junk? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that Wait, that movie. That movie docu- made. Yeah, the documentary, right? Yeah, so he. He made that one. He made another one called Fight Church. It turns out yeah. that this church, Fight Church, was actually the church that my brother was baptized in in Rochester, New York. So I knew everything about this church, and wow. and and what this guy did about this church was, uh, uh, I honestly, honestly, he was he was actually nice to them. So uh, uh-huh. I, I was not, uh, I was, I just, I didn't light my fire. I didn't review that movie at all. But this movie is actually about. Uh, this this uh, town, I think it's actually Tyler, Texas. It might be near Tyler, Texas, where the, there were a bunch of churches, oh, like okay. like ten churches that got burned to the ground. And this is a this is a, the story of the arson 
arsonists and the churches around them. I I felt like it was a very compelling thing, not because mm. the arsonists were spe- you know they were spectacularly intelligent, but that it actually showed how the Christian life works in real life. That there are these people with a simple faith. This is extreme hardship that all of them are going through. Some of them, you know, their faith makes sense to them more. Some of them not so much anymore. But it was a, it was it was real. It was honest, and and uh, I'll be reviewing that uh, Team Pyro this week. Um, so now, is this, I, I, a, is this a narrative film or a documentary? It's a documentary. Okay, interesting. So now, and it's, it, and it'll be on PBS on the sixth. So if you guys if if you're if uh, the podcast nation or you guys want to watch it, you should watch it. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I uh, I did watch the one about uh, about the card counting uh, Christians. Now you sounded like you weren't a fan of that one. Is that true? Oh, I I you know what I have I actually have it. I, the way I got to see that movie was on DVD. They sent me the DVD, and okay. I have watched it. I watched it twice to review it, and then I watched it once since then to see if my opinions changed. I'll tell you something. Yeah. I that movie was a huge disappointment to me. How so, um, man? Well, I, it was it was disappointing on a couple of fronts. The first one is that the way the way it plays off Christianity is really shallow. It was very, I mean, I you know I think that the unfortunate part for that guy is that he was, you know, whatever his involvement, uh, the producer's involvement is with Christianity or was at that time. It was sort of kind of the uh, uh, the end of the emergent church, you know, that he kind of kind of felt like you could use the name of Jesus on anything. And, and it's ironic how the emergent church got that way, that you could put Jesus' name on anything and, uh, and call it Christian, you know, because that's where, that's where conservative Christian circles had been for decades, and uh, finally uh, those guys had caught up. Uh, but then they wanted to call this hard-counting thing some kind of sanctified thing, some kind of missionary activity. I thought that was wildly disappointing, mostly because it's not that those people didn't think that. It said that they gave no counterpoint. There was nobody kind of, kind of brought in to say, "Hey, listen, you know, they're thinking about it this way, but you know, all they have to do is think about it with this involved, and all of a sudden, all of that falls to pieces." You know, they 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 they, they think about this thing as sort of being a kind of discipleship, but if it's a discipleship, they've done a really crappy job of it. Um, so there were so many things that I thought. You know, I realized that you, you get you make the movie you make. You know, and you can't criticize somebody for not making the movie they didn't make, but. Uh, um, you know, you, you look at it, and there was so much. There were so many moments when these, all these guys needed, was somebody to say to them, "What if you thought about this?" Where somebody tried to turn the light bulb on, and it didn't work. You know, I mean, I think that that, that documentary would have worked better as a mockumentary than a documentary, but it, it wasn't. Turk, you're coming back onto uh, Team Pyro with one of your trademark uh, open letters. Yes. Now I heard uh, the the open letter being rather savaged on a, a kind of sister podcast um, not that long ago, and, and then that was followed by a, a, a brief limited skirmish via Twitter uh, involving yourself. Um, what do you think of the the open letter as a format? Is this something you do ironically, or is this something you still think is uh, is, is good? And and the the usual dismissal of the open letter is that it's very condescending and and uh, I know what's best. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that uh, anybody on that sister podcast who thinks that there's somebody else in the world who's more condescending than they are needs to take a dose of reality. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> That having been said, um, you know, and not naming names about, you know, whoever they are. I'm not actually going to name names. Um, it wasn't me, actually, for the record. <laughs> so that said, okay, so what do I think about the open letter? First of all, I think that the open letter is a great way to to actually open the lid on a discussion with somebody because because especially if you've ever had any interaction with them. And, and I would say probably a third of the open letters that I've written, I've actually had interaction with people. So rather than write them a private letter that nobody will ever see and they can bury, I write, right. them, a, I write them a public letter, and the public letter is really from me to that person. You know, So, so mm-hmm. there's that. And I, and, I, and I really think that there is an edge that the open letter – uh, rides on you know that that at the end of the day it's sharp because instead of saying you know in general this is a trend what it really says is hey dude you're on the wrong path and i think mm. that that while it may be written to somebody who may or may not ever read it or may not even care when everybody else reads that what they what the what it causes the reader to do is to say hey wait a minute am i on that path you know and mm. am, am i on that path with this person um, because because when you write a letter, let's say let's say that you write that I have and I have, you know, you write an open letter to John Piper, 
Now, when I wrote my open letters to John Piper, there was nobody criticizing John Piper. So I right. wrote a letter to John Piper. Everybody thought he was he was you know the next C.S. Lewis or some crazy thing. And I was saying, hey man, you know, listen, you have done a lot for my faith. That was really the first open letter. The second one was, you are doing bad things to other people's faith because you're endorsing somebody who's not even nearly as sincere as you are. Okay. Mm. And and in that, all of a sudden, what it does is it takes the reader down the path of saying, you know, I can admire this person and still be look at them without the rose-colored glasses, that I can look at them like a real person. Yeah. Because, you know, I know no. that, that people people toss this criticism out on the Internet all the time, but the, the, the question of whether or not we see people as real people is a big deal to me. I, I don't know if you can tell from the, the kind of ambient sounds coming from over here, but, but uh, Ted and I are like frantically washing our hands uh, <laughs> as, you, as you speak. <laughs> that well... In a giant sink. <laughs> in a giant sink wherein uh, t- Terry Silver of the Corporal Kai and, yeah. and Dynatox is, is bathing. We didn't even wait for him to vacate. We went right exactly. in. Oh, gosh. This, uh, this has been a pleasure as always, man, and thought-provoking as always. We love having you on the program, baby. I like talking to you guys. I wish we lived closer, man, because if we did, we would do this. We'd do it all the time. We do it all the time, and we, we, we would be in person. You'd be here in the studio. That'd be amazing. That's what I'm saying. There'd be pizza involved. I don't know, maybe a cigar or some other beverage. Who knows? But it would be awesome. You got did, it. Wait a minute. Turkish, did you just open the, the door to you possibly having a cigar with us? Because that is a door that's been firmly closed for years. You know, you, you got to be who you are. I don't know what yeah. that means, but okay. I love it. I love I love the kind of open-endedness of that comment. I think it's a great one uh, to leave the the listeners with. You got to be who you are. And Turkish man, we're going to send you. Do uh, uh, you have a Kindle? Of course. All right, we're going to send you the the Kindle file for the uh, re-raptured, so that you can uh, see the rest of the uh, brilliant stuff that Ted uh, spun out there, and uh, and kind of. How we blended some of the old with the new. Um, we took some of these brilliant characters, like some, especially you and I were, were uh, a lot of these characters that Brad Acheson came up with. Yeah, uh, that, that, that we <laughs> had propaganda. first time around. Ted and I didn't mm-hmm. touch all of them, and so this time we said, "Let's get into with all of them," and, and right, we right. added some stuff. See where we them. can take them. So it's gonna be it's yeah. gonna be great, I think. So uh, thanks for laughing at it. Oh, dude, you guys, you guys, you guys always cut me up because you're awesome. All right, baby, you are too. Have a great one, Turkish, and we'll do this again next week. Thanks, fellas. We'll talk to you. Um, we've got another another exciting segment, which is uh, which is Zach reading uh, a selection uh, of his from our new novel, Re: Colon Raptured, which is available today on Amazon.com. Exactly five years after our first book came out, which That's is right. just exciting. Okay, this is chapter four. I'll just read a part of it here. It's called "What Are Your Options Really." The North American Aerospace Defense Command, better known as NORAD, is located near the Cheyenne Mountain Nuclear Bunker in Colorado Springs, which is about an hour drive from Denver. You've undoubtedly seen depictions of NORAD's Central Command on movies, especially Soviet fear-fueled 80s movies, and believe it or not, the actual thing is even more spectacular than you imagine. Mm. Everything is space-aged and shiny. There are retinal scanners and laser security fields at every juncture. Flat screens hang from the ceiling every 10 feet, like some sort of megachurch on crack, (laughs) displaying eyes-only information for the operatives within, as well as more vanilla employee-type announcements about upcoming (laughs) events and, quote, theme days. For example, Jean Jacket Thursday, which is coming up next (laughs) week, and which will have a 94% participation rate, (laughs) greatly pleasing the head of HR, who happens to be Dick Cheney. The walls of the place are absolutely covered with panels full of buttons, Mm. the square kind with nothing printed on them to indicate what will happen if you push (laughs) them, and which actually light up, flashing on and off in a way that creates ever-changing patterns on the walls. I love that about NORAD. No one ever pushes the buttons. No. Reginald Faustus works at NORAD as a janitor. This sometimes surprises people, i.e. that there are janitors at NORAD, but when you think about it, someone has to clean even the highest clearance and most sensitive of government facilities, or they would get really gross really quick. Especially when you factor in that, even in these progressive times, men still outnumber women by a ratio of 8 to 1 in the upper echelons of the intelligence and U.S. military complex. There's nothing grosser than a row of urinals that are overdue for a good cleaning, and while one would expect men in charge of nuclear missiles to be quite concerned with good aim, they apparently aren't. So what are your options, really? You can either, one, let everything reach frat house levels of filth, two, make four-star generals and covert operatives take turns scrubbing toilets and mopping floors, or three, hire the usual low-wage workers and screen them very carefully. NORAD goes with option three. 
Okay, I'm going to skip down a little bit. Uh, this is where we're, we're meeting a character named Sylvia Lavord, who works for the CIA. For her part, while Sylvia Lavord worked at NORAD, she did not actually work for NORAD. Mm. Rather, she was assistant manager of the CIA hub of the atrium of Bunker B. <laughs> Decades earlier, President Reagan had ordered the construction of an exact replica of Denver's Park Meadows Mall, which he described as, quote, America in a nutshell, <laughs> at NORAD, under 600 feet of solid earth. In the wake of 9-11, the food court of the mall replica had been chosen as the perfect central location to bring all the federal agencies together for sharing information. And so, the old Sparrows is now the FBI's NORAD hub. Panda Express has become the NSA's, and so on with the CIA, ATF, etc. Auntie Anne's Pretzels is still Auntie Anne's Pretzels, and they turn a tidy profit, but all the other restaurants are now gone. As newcomers to the intelligence world, the Department of Homeland Security is forced to occupy a kiosk in the middle of the cafeteria tables. The corresponding kiosk in the actual Park Meadows Mall sells body-piercing accessories. Ironically, at NORAD, the DHS kiosk is positioned between a larger, functioning belly button ring stand and a little cart that sells silkscreen cell phone covers, both the result of shameful pork and federal spending bills. I love it, man. I love it. Boy, NORAD, you know, you think you know a place, and uh, you, you get... you. Start to peel back some layers in this Whole case of, yeah. of Earth, yeah, and uh, and mall and, and mall, and uh, and before you know it, you're in the the NORAD food court where uh, where a lot of stuff goes down in our novel. Yeah, and and you know most of it is uh, more exciting even than what you've heard just there. It really is. Yeah, lots of gunplay, lots of uh, lots of interpersonal flying. dynamics, flying. There are chain guns, uh, helicopters, helicopters. Yeah, it's 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 what you might call an adrenaline rush. Mm. Or a nonstop thrill ride. Yeah, or a nonstop adrenaline rush. Much like this podcast has been. Amen. Uh, So with that, I'm going to close this great episode of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, Visit gutcheckpress.com. Join the Gut Check Army. Send us some free stuff to uh, to get, get yourself some airtime on the show. And we will see you next week.